If you would open your Bibles, we're in Psalm 136. Psalm 136. We're going to approach this a, a little different for our reading. We're going to do this responsively. I'll read the first part of the verse, and I think you'll pick up on the drumbeat of uh, the psalm. Uh, so you can look on with someone. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, just glance over uh, at uh, what's coming. I'll give you a minute to get there. Psalm 136. So I'm going to read the first part of every line, and then responsively, if you would answer uh, with the second part. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To Him who alone does great wonders. To Him who by understanding made the heavens. To Him who spread out the earth above the waters. To Him who made the great lights. The sun to rule over the day. The moon and stars to rule over the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. It is he who remembered us in our low estate. And rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, your word. The resounding drumbeat of your steadfast love. Lord, that flows through this psalm, would it flow through our hearts? And we see Christ as the embodiment 
of your steadfast love. And may that shape our hearts to truly give thanks. We pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. So I love Thanksgiving. It's fantastic. It's like a, it's like a freebie for uh, eating all the pumpkin pie I can hold. Like, I can just keep going back. Time with family and friends. Watching football. Maybe playing football. Trying not to get injured in the front yard. Board games, cards, dominoes. Giving thanks. I love all that stuff. However, Thanksgiving carries with it this implied idea that we're thankful. Thankful to who? And for what? As a country, we hold on to this notion of giving thanks collectively. To who? And for what? What's that all about? Why should we do it? Psalm 136 invites us into some of those realities. This is really kind of the conclusion as well uh, of our Exodus study. The Psalms look back on that event and they teach us, they inform us how we should take that event in. We saw that in Psalm 77, the psalmist is in deep depression hurting, not, not knowing what to do. He, he, he even stayed up at night. Sometimes he can't sleep. Sometimes all he wants to do is sleep. And we saw that in the midst of that, he remembers the great redeeming power of God. He remembers the Exodus. He reminds his heart of truths that exist outside of his own experience. In Psalm 78, we, we saw that the Exodus and God's history with the people is to be passed down to the next generation. Last week, Psalm 150, we were reminded of praise and how central praise is to the life of the believer. It was to define all of Israel and reminded us of praise going on on the banks of the Red Sea. This week we come to 136. It's a bit of a hybrid. I love this psalm. I've been kind of side-eyeing this thing all the way through Exodus. There's some astounding things going on here. It's definitely a psalm of thanksgiving, but it's also a historical psalm. They're kind of jammed together. Those are two different kinds of psalms. One kind, it's just poetry. It's a, it's a song. It kind of, here's, we're singing about what God has done with us. And another kind is just, we're giving thanks to God. And here's why. This takes those two and jams them together. It's trying to teach us some lessons. In Jewish tradition, this is um, sung at great feasts because it's, um, it's very clear. The structure is very clear. Probably sung just like we just did it. Call and response. I want us to see four things going on. One, a command to give thanks. The controlling reason to give thanks. A consideration of the greatness of God. And then the desires that our hearts would be captured with these truths. First, notice the command to give thanks. Look at 
Look at your Bible, Psalm 136, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord. Verse 2, give thanks to the God of gods. Verse 3, give thanks to the Lord of lords. And then at the end, verse 26, give thanks to the God of heaven. The psalm is structured around, it's built around four commands. These are imperatives that exist in the psalm. They're telling us what to do. Give thanks. Give thanks. It holds this whole thing together. Beginning to end, this is a call to thank God. To thank Him. And these four commands act like a frame for the rest of the picture that we'll see. What does it mean to give thanks? What's that mean? Dictionary definition. Yes, I pulled a dictionary off the shelf. It's an expression of gratitude. An expression of gratitude. When it comes to God and when it comes to psalms like this, thanks to Him is a collective expression of gratitude to God. Yes, you can be a person who is thankful. But the people of God, collectively, we are called to be thankful to Him. Express gratitude to God. This is what we do in worship. We heard about this reality last week. Our worship is defined and oriented around praise to God. It's also oriented around thanks. We give God thanks individually and collectively. But notice that these calls aren't abstract. They're directed specifically to the true and living God of the Bible. Verse 1, give thanks to the Lord. Do you see it there? It's all caps. Give thanks to His name. The name of the Lord is great. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Verse 2, give thanks to the God of gods in the heavenly realm, in the spiritual realm. This is God in the spiritual realm. Give thanks to God. Then in verse 3, give thanks to the Lord of lords. Here he's turned from heavenly realms, the God of gods, to the Lord of lords. He's the master of everything. Give thanks to Him. Lastly, give thanks to the God of heaven. This name for God isn't used very often in the Bible. It's viewing God as reigning over all the earth. He's not like anything else in all creation. He's infinite, eternal, and unchanging. The object of our thanks is God. Do we have an attitude of thanksgiving in our lives? And here's the better question. Do we recognize our utter dependence on God? The only way we'll ever truly be marked as a people who give thanks is if we realize we're utterly dependent on Him. Do we know for certain that there's not one area of our life, not one tiny part of our life, that is not under His utter sovereign control. If we possess anything, any attribute of our character, any physical possession that we have, do, do we recognize any of that as being just ours and we don't owe the Lord thanks for it? 
Hey, you have a nice house. Yeah. Thank the Lord we, we have this house. Hey, look at your car. Yeah, look at what God has done. Hey, that was a, you made a really smart decision there. You're, you're a really sharp guy. Praise the Lord. All of life is defined this way, thanks to God, and, and not giving Him thanks, not giving Him recognition, not giving Him His due is like stealing from Him. You know what plagiarism is? Stealing someone else's work, using someone else's work and not giving them credit for it. Not giving God thanks for all that we are, all that we will be, all that we have been is like plagiarism. We're plagiarizing God. There's no footnote there saying, give thanks to the Lord of heaven. And you're really sharp. Really have it going on. Do you have a footnote there to, to look at someone in the face and say, praise the Lord. Anything good that comes from me, it's, it's of Him. Without that footnote, we're plagiarizing. We're receiving thanks and praise and taking that on ourselves. And the psalmist is saying, no, we owe it all. 100% of it, we owe it to God. Without God, we are nothing. We have nothing. Thankfulness recognizes that. Thank you, Lord, for what you are, who you are, and what you've done. So in all that, we have a command to give thanks, and we know who it is we're thanking. Next, we turn to the controlling reason to give thanks. The psalmist clearly has a bone to pick. He's got a bone to pick. And it's not hard to hear what that is. Why are we to give thanks to God? What? Our steadfast love endures forever. This is the controlling reason for or because His steadfast love endures forever. You might have different translations. This is tough. You're going to have to follow me. The NIV says His love endures forever. The New Living Translation, His faithful love endures forever. The New American Standard, for His loving kindness is everlasting. The King James, for His mercy endureth forever. New English Translation, the Net Bible, for His loyal love endures. Why so many different interpretations? Like, and I could keep going, by the way. You can check it out later. Look this up and look at all the different translations of it. You have to scratch your head a little bit. What's going on? Not all people agree. The term in Hebrew is one word. Hesed. One term there. The Hesed of God. It's a hard part about this word is that there's so much going on with it, it's hard to squeeze it all in. There's one place in the Scriptures that, that define this for us, and it's found in Lamentations 3, and I'm going to read it to you. Lamentations was a bad situation. Babylonian exile was upon them. 
The people were being crushed. Their imminent death or deportation into slavery was at hand. And in the midst of this bad situation, Lamentations is penned. It's a lament. It's tears expressed in poetry. In it, this is said, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, listen to the definition, His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. That is steadfast love. There's a lot going on. Love defined. Love with teeth is this. Things aren't good. I deserve death. It's coming. There's another section right before this where the the prophet says, I feel like a target and God's bow has been against me. God is going to do some target practice and I'm right in the middle. His arrow is coming. And then he says, I need to remember this one central truth. I need to remember that the steadfast love of God endures forever. Even in the midst of this, God is good. God will love me. So it's this. It's steadfast love of God is I'm not dead and I probably should be. His mercy will never come to an end. The mercy of God are many and they are new every morning. Great is the faithfulness of the Lord. The Lord is enough for our soul. Put your hope in God. All of that is jammed into one little word. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. I should be dead, but because of God's grace, I'm not. His mercy exists for me right now, today. It's real. I have reason to put hope in God. I am unfaithful and He is faithful to me. God loves me. All those things are steadfast love. This is all about grace. The steadfast love of God, His covenant faithful love, His loyal love is God's grace. It's God's grace. God's very person is grace. We come today before a God who loves us and His mercy never stops. The word is used, steadfast love, is used over 40 times in the Old Testament. The frequency here is 26. Look, he's defining what makes a thankful life. If you, want to, if you want to live a life of thanksgiving before God, if we as a congregation will be a people of thanks to God, we will have to understand the grace of God.
the psalmist has this bone to pick. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And the bone is essentially this. God is gracious. God is gracious to us. We don't deserve it, but he is. This never-ending love is the drumbeat of thanksgiving. You want to live a life of thanks. Remember the steadfast love of God endures forever. The New Testament comes to this and considers Jesus the very embodiment of God's love and new mercy and hope. 1 John 4, 9 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. Okay, check it out. In this, all those concepts were brought to life and made tangible. They were touchable among us. In this. You ready? In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Jesus is the love of God made manifest among us, made known to us, touchable, hearable. The King of kings and Lord of lords that this psalm is praising, this high and lifted up God of the heavens, was made manifest among us in the person of Jesus. Thanksgiving offers us the distinct joy to repudiate all pretenders in the place of God in our lives. It invites us to fall in love again. All these other things that would pretend to receive thanks and gratitude around us, it says, no, they're all cheap substitutes. That's not the real thing. God... His grace personified in the person and work of Jesus. His steadfast love enduring forever. The person of Christ. God's grace to us in the gospel. That's what makes us people of thanksgiving. Does the gospel of grace in Christ, that He lived, that He died, that Jesus rose again, does it make us thankful people. If you're here this morning and you profess Jesus, then the question comes to you, what what does this mean? What does it mean in your life that the steadfast love of God endures forever? Is it just something you believe or or profess to believe and you can go on and and not be a thankful person, not be marked by any change whatsoever? This defines everything about life. It, It shapes and changes us. Are you here today not knowing why you should give thanks? Or you may say, sometimes I do this in my heart when I'm very cynical about my place. I don't have any reason to give thanks. The psalmist gives 26 of them. 26 reasons. Again, the the drumbeat, the grace of God, His steadfast love, His new mercies, the fact that we should be dead but we're not. 
give thanks to the Lord. Grace, God's grace is greater than all our sin. What does it mean that this grace endures forever? It's never going to stop. It's never going to end. What if I have a really, really bad day? Does the psalmist see a way in for my really bad day for the steadfast love of the Lord just to be cut off? How about the prophet in Lamentations? Y'all, he's having a real, real bad day. And he sees families being deported. People sold into slavery. A whole nation in, in his mind coming to an end. He's having a terrible day. And he says, God's grace is not ending. His love isn't going anywhere. His mercies will be new for me tomorrow morning. What about when we really don't deserve grace? We really don't deserve it. We've utterly blown it. Again. Again, we've fallen into that sin, that trap. Does the steadfast love of God endure for a moment? Does it again and again in the psalm say, the steadfast love of God endures until you blow it? Oh, he said, it endures forever to the ages. So we see the command to give thanks and the controlling reason to give thanks. And now we consider the greatness of God. Consider the greatness of God. The body of the psalm narrows the focus of giving thanks. The command is in place. The drumbeat. The steadfast love of God. And here he turns to two things. Controlling this. Creation and redemption. Creation and redemption. Notice with me creation, the wonder, the bigness, the vastness of God is on display in creation. The imagery here is uh, that the whole world is being formed and fashioned by God. That He lays the earth over the waters and hammers it down. That's the imagery in the psalm. That God is fashioning with His hands like, uh, like a master craftsman. He's fashioning the whole world. God is the creative genius and His steadfast love endures forever. He considers the, the sun and one reason He does this is in their context, people worshipped the sun. I don't necessarily think that Shreveport were a huge threat to do that. Maybe some do, but uh, just consider the sun. And I've, I've done some of this here before simply because I love to read about things like this. Uh, the sun to rule over the days as the steadfast love of God endures forever. Consider the sun. It's a relatively small star in our galaxy, a dwarf. But it's huge. 109 times the diameter of the earth. According to scientists at Cornell, our orbital speed around the sun is about 
67,000 miles per hour. At that rate of speed, we should make it around the sun pretty quick, shouldn't we? We're going pretty fast. We're hurling through space in an orbit, and yet, how long does it take that to happen? A year. A year. The sun is hot. 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. The light from the sun reaches the earth in eight minutes. That's 93 million miles away. It's fast. It's hot. It's huge. The power and energy of the sun is it's, it's so huge. So I ran across this. This is great. I don't really understand much about gross domestic product. Okay, I really, I don't get it. It's a huge number, right? It's big. I'll just wrote down some stuff here about it. So this is um, consumption, everything we consume, plus gross investment, all the investments, plus government investment, plus government spending, plus exports and imports. Last year in the U.S., that was about $20.5 trillion. It's a big number. So if you take the gross domestic product of the United States and you saved it up for 7 million years, you would have enough money to buy power to power the sun for one second. The GDP of the United States for 7 million years could power the sun for a second. Blip. Gone. The psalmist is, he's, he's not just glancing here, he, he's looking at the vastness of God and his power and saying, look at, look at this. Look at who this God is. He made all this by the word of his power. Give thanks to him. His steadfast love endures forever. We could go on and on and on. Creation is vast. Look at creation and look at redemption. It's really interesting. He, he, he points out here the great lengths that God will go to to save His people. He points out time and time again that redemption is very costly and God is willing to go there. Verses 10 to 12, He struck down the firstborn of Egypt. Verses 13 to 15, He, he leads the people by dry land through the water and then he swallows up the army of Pharaoh. Verses 17 to 20, God kills kings. God is a king killer to save his people. Look at all the repetition, verse 17, to him who struck down great kings. Verse 18, and killed mighty kings. Verses 19 and 20, get specific, he killed Sihon and Og. All the land, all the stuff, all the possession of all these other kings belongs to the people of God. What's up with his view of redemption? So much death. Death of a firstborn, the death of Pharaoh, the death of kings times four. We might summarize it this way. God strikes firstborn. He kills kings. For his steadfast love endures forever. 
Does that take us anywhere? The salvation won for the people of God is extremely costly. It costs the life of the firstborn. That's what the psalmist says. It says it costs not just the life of the firstborn, but the life of kings. And God is willing to go there. He's willing to strike the firstborn to save His people. He's willing to strike down kings to save His people. Are you thinking the same thing I'm thinking? Where else in Scripture do we see a firstborn killed to save people? Where do we see the only begotten of God being lifted up so that we might be saved? Where else in Scripture do we see an overflow of power and the the death of kings? Luke 23 records that when Jesus died, there was an inscription hung over His cross. Here's the King of the Jews. Did God strike down kings to save us? He has. Colossians 1 For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. How? By the blood of His cross. When the psalmist looks back at redemption, he says this. This is the resounding message. Redemption is super costly. And God is willing to pay it. We here this morning are gathered together and encouraged to give thanks because, hey, remember, redemption is super costly. It costs the the life, the very life of the only begotten Son of God, Jesus, who would go to the cross and die. And God is willing to pay it for His steadfast love endures forever. Lastly, capture all of these things in our own hearts and our own lives. The psalmist takes all these big realities and he brings them down to his own daily life. Notice verse 23, it is he who remembered us in our lowest state. Here it goes from a distant third person to a first person. This God who's done all these great things, this creator God, this redeeming God remembered us. He remembered us in our low estate. He rescued us from our foes. He gives food to all flesh, verse 25. Here the psalm shifts from them, them, over there, over there, to me. This is my reality. I give thanks because God remembered me in my lowest state. I give thanks because He rescued me from my foes. I give thanks because He gave me food to eat. Listen, God remembers us in our lowly estate. Our lowly estate is that of a death sentence. Sin and separation from God and He remembered us. And He provides redemption for us. Here's our Advent introduction. The true and living God enters into our lowly estate. 
He doesn't just remember us and say, man, I'm going to do something about it. Jesus enters that low estate. The king of kings, the, the king of heaven is born into a manger. A feeding trough. He enters in. He enters into obscurity. An out of the way place. The king of kings, the lord of lords, God himself, born into our lowly estate because the steadfast love of God endures forever. So what happens when God remembers? It says he remembers us. He does something about it. He rescues us. When God remembers, God remembered Israel. Do you remember that? Way back at the beginning of our Exodus study, it says God remembered his people. He remembered his covenant. And he comes to rescue and to save. The psalmist says all of this out here, this great God and all these reasons to give thanks, they're mine. What do we say? We have so many reasons to give thanks. The gospel is true. We've been taken from death to life. Are all those things coming into our hearts where we consider the reality of these things and give God thanks? Today we can give thanks because He is, he is ours. His steadfast love endures forever. Amen. Father, thank you for this, your word. Lord, as the psalmist directed us to give thanks, may we do so. You have done great things. Your steadfast love has endured through the ages. It continues today and it's embodied in Jesus. Lord, would this shape our thanksgiving? May it not just be a, a day, but may we be thankful people because of your gospel. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.